Welcome to No Cartridge Audio. My name is Trevor Strunk. I'm at Hagelbone on Twitter. Uh, it's really great to be back after sort of a short hiatus. Really not much more than a week, but uh, it feels long to me, especially since we started as a daily podcast. I think we're going to kind of try and work back to that at this point, especially because the po- the website, the Patreon, patreon.com backslash Hagelbon, and the PayPal, paypal.me backslash Hagelbon, have been so well... Um, funded recently since the podcast people have really been generous with their money and with their uh, uh patronage and it's just been really great I, I can't thank you all enough i really sort of have hope that this can become uh, uh an enterprise that you know let's not call it a job necessarily it's a little stodgy or maybe a little uh over ambitious at this point but certainly an enterprise a business that i can be sort of invested in and in calling it a business uh not focusing on profit but focusing on stability so i can keep producing this kind of material that i think is important for the contemporary games market uh particularly the contemporary criticism market because you know like it or not this is not the kind of stuff that's being produced in the academy uh to my understanding although that's probably a topic for another day uh so I've been thinking a lot about how No Cartridge is going to evolve, and there are going to be, you know, mostly episodes like this one where it's a short take on a game I'm playing and a particular idea I have. Um, so don't worry. If you like that, that's not going away. But I found a lot of people really liked my interview with uh, Scott Benson, episode 13, our interview on um, when we talked a little bit. The interview is probably a little too formal. We just had a conversation about Night in the Woods, and people really responded to that and really resonated with it. And I wanted to provide more of that. So... I've decided that I'm going to include more guests um, in the vein of Alex Navarro and Scott Benson that we had before, um, mostly with your favorites from Twitter, uh, from gaming, all over the place. Uh, you know, whoever I can get, whoever I know in my own circle, I know a lot of people who have really interesting ideas about games, about politics, about capitalism, about design, all sorts of stuff. Uh, some designers, some just critics, some people who just kind of enjoy it. Uh, we're going to kind of work through it. There are... Um, there are a lot of people on here who feud, who fight. Obviously, uh, Twitter is not a place of um, amicability, and I cannot promise that there will be a consistent politics behind the choices in my guests. I do not claim such a thing, and I am pulling from all across my disparate group of friends on this website and abroad, and that will mean that some people won't enjoy some of my guests and some people will enjoy others. For 90 90% of you, maybe, this isn't going to be an issue. However, for the 10% of you that it is, who know everyone, is what I mean, not that you're overreacting, uh, you know, you are welcome, and I would never get upset with you if you don't want to listen to a particular cast because of the guest, right? That's okay with me. It's fine. I'm not going to hold it against you. Um, you know, and you can also come to me and gripe about the content and complain and critique me, and I will try and respond in the most um, reasonable way possible. But you know, that caveat aside, I really think what this is going to produce is a wide-ranging and deeply critical approach to video games that, and video games as such, like the actual object, right? Not just how they perform in a market, not just, you know, are they art or are they not art, but in fact, like the objects themselves, taking them seriously on their own terms that we haven't seen thus far and that we need to see more of. So that's what we're doing here at No Cartridge. I'm just kind of giving you the mission statement once more if you're new here. And, you know, just to kind of say it again for my own sake, 
Um, so with that said, let's get back into Nier Automata, uh, which I've talked about a lot here, uh, maybe too much, but it's a really interesting game and it brings up a lot of questions about RPGs and contemporary action RPGs. And one of the things it brings up is this question of side quests. So I'm trying to play through it so we can get through the whole thing and I can pick up another um, ambitious game. I'm about 20 hours in and a lot of my time in Nier Automata is or has been used uh, to accomplish side quests, basically things that aren't explicitly about the main topic or the main quest at hand. Now, as I mentioned in my one year podcast, the side quests in Nier Automata are very much these uh, plot-driven quests, right? You learn about the people that you're doing the quests for. It reveals something about the world you're in, the whole world shrouded in mystery and the relationships between all the uh, characters in the world, whether they're machines or androids or whatever, uh, are, you know, deeply confusing and confounding if, you know, not for, sometimes for your players themselves, but also for the actual player at home, right? So for the androids you play as, and then also for the player at home. Now, the side quests reveal stuff like this that, you know, supplement or increase the the complexity of the plot. In some ways, uh, this makes them unique, uh, or at least different than side quests in something like World of Warcraft, where you're doing what, what you might call fetch quests, uh, fetching, you know, five wolf pelts for a uh, for a farmer in order to get, you know, 15 silver or whatever. Um, that's sort of an older, a more old school or uh, more grindy MMO style uh, approach to a side quest where you do it to get money or you do it to get stuff, basically, to, to make your character better. Um, those get old after a while or can in that way, you're sort of just doing grinding or experience building in a different way, something we talked about in a previous podcast. However, in Nier and in games like Nier, which is sort of like uh, the Skyrim, our Skyrim and the Elder Scrolls games, Skyrim Oblivion or Morrowind, um, have this quality to them where the side quests actually produce plot that is worth reading on its own, right? And so this is a more contemporary approach. I think um, it still produces an interesting question, which is why do we tolerate this? Why do we not just say, you know, put all this stuff in the main plot, just make it all the main plot. Don't give me these side quests. I don't care about the choices, especially if they're false choices. I have all the time in the world to do these things. Why make it more complicated? Why not just put the effort into the main plot? I think this is a reasonable question. It's not as if subplots have really great stories. They might have interesting or evocative stories, and I think they do in Nier Automata and in, you know, the Elder Scrolls games as well. But it's not as if they're as interesting as the main plot line, right? Or usually not as. Maybe one or two are as or more interesting, but most of the time, no. However, I think there are two ways we can understand the appeal of subplots without understanding them strictly in terms of narrative um, completion. The one is, by way of thinking about them as gamified aspects of the video game, particularly that... And this happens in Nier, right? It gives you a sense of how many quests you've done. There's a percentage of quests completed. Um, there's a map system that points out objectives that you can go run to and complete. Uh, there's a whole sort of system for getting through the game. And you have like a meter that shows like, okay, I'm at 37% through the quests. I guess I'm getting close to one third through the game. Or like this, I'm this far into the quests. So I'm guessing I'm this far into the game. And it releases a little bit of dopamine, right? When you realize like, oh, I'm a little further. I'm a little further. I completed this. I completed that. This is also the formula in Skyrim. Like I said, you can kind of go to places on the map. You can quick travel. You can finish particular quests. You can mark them on your map, right? And there's a real lizard brained appeal in this. Maybe it's not dopamine. Maybe it's just like this deep sense of 
peace when we finish something, right? When you actually finish something. And for most of us in late capitalism, this focus on completion pushes against a feeling of permawork, uh, labor without end, this idea that um, every single space in our lives is codified or used uh, to produce labor um, or used as a space to produce labor. Let's say that the um, the home office is a version of this, right, where we suddenly can work from home. And so anytime we have off time or leisure time, we are thinking, well, what can we do for the company? Or flexible work time, right? You know, you have a series of tasks to complete and no set time period in which you need to complete them except maybe a due date or a deadline. Well, at that point, then 3 a.m. looks like a viable time to work or 12 noon looks like a viable time to work. There's all these times that sort of like become work time, become colonized by work that were no longer or that were at a certain point leisure, right? And so this is on one like all, you know, bad things in the world. It's one hand nefarious. Obviously, people are trying to extract your your extract your profit or your labor or whatever. Um and I would not say otherwise, of course. Uh but on the other hand, it's also just mundane. It's this idea of increasing benefits or increasing stability for workers or increasing sort of like reasons that one would want to work at a place, right? Oh, you get to be closer to your kids or oh, you get to sort of like work from a more comfortable space. And of course, the business then saves money as well. But this introduces a way in which work just never stops. And in the game, work does stop. There's a moment where I get a little bu- little beep up that says, hey, you completed this quest. And I can know how the quest ended. It's never going to start again. And if it does start again, it's going to start as a new quest. At work, I can send you know, a series of papers out. And I know a series of papers are coming back. Or I can send an email out and know that it's probably coming back with some task uh appended to it and it might come back at six o'clock at night and i might think to myself well i guess i can handle that right now it's not a sense of ever being done that that accompanies that kind of work right um and so near and other rpgs allow you that sense of being done of completion in the rpgs which i think is very interesting um Beyond the capitalism angle, though, there's an emotional appeal uh, to a kind of unreality or a sort of ideality in subquests. Lots of games these days push against this ideality. So Dead Rising is one of them that comes immediately to mind, a game where you are uh, set in a mall uh, with a bunch of zombies and you have various quests that are all over the mall and you have to decide whether you're going to do them or not. And so this means the difference between saving people or not saving people, right? Uh, there's someone over in the food court who needs to get saved in an hour, a game time, which is maybe like 15 minutes real time. And there's someone in the uh, sports section that needs to be saved in 30 minutes game time. Well, who are you going to choose? You can't save both. They're on opposite ends of the mall. Um, you have to make choices. Night in the Woods is the same way. It doesn't work in terms of real time, but you know, you do have to make choices based on, you know, your character's availability at night. You can go through the B route or you can go through the Greg route. And you actually need to choose these things. You can't just do both. So there's a kind of currency of time there, currency of choice, currency of time that promotes a scarcity, right? There's a way in which you have to pick and choose. You can't just do everything. How And, and you know, 
in a lot of ways, this is more realistic. This is absolutely the way the real world works. You have to nominate and support what you think is the most worst, worthwhile, or in some ways, if you're playing a video game, what is most attuned to your character or to your play style. Um, what's going to make the game more fun for you? What's going to make it more true to life for your character? Which do you choose? Do you choose to get experience or money? Do you choose to forward the narrative or not, right? You can prune the game down in the ways that you want to, uh, but you're also forced to do so. You can't not do that, for lack of a better way of phrasing that. Nier, however, like a lot of RPGs, allows you free reign to finish quests so long as you do not expend the chapters, right? These games are broken up into sort of like separate phases or um, uh, epochs, <laughs> I guess is kind of a grand way of saying it. Uh, and in Nier, like in a lot of games, when you move on to the next stage, something catastrophic happens to the world or changes so that it opens up a new pathway, and then your open world opens up a little bit and closes up in other ways. When it closes up in other ways, all of a sudden you lose particular quests. You can chapter uh, select in Nier, which is useful, but as you're playing it, there's this feeling of, oh, I can't progress until I finish these side quests, right? I can't progress until I am able to finish up these less scattered uh, remaining things, whether or not they're appealing or not, whether or not you think they're actually going to produce narrative um, uh, closure or otherwise. You know, there was a there's a Speed Star subplot in Nier that I just really didn't like. It was a race against a robot, and I finished it anyway. And that was different than, say, the finding spare parts for a robot and you sort of discover that he's trying to put together these these old Yorha units um, and trying to bring them back to life. That was kind of uh, thematically interesting. The Speedstar one, not so much, but I wanted to complete both, right? Because I was worried, oh, once the chapter changes, maybe I won't get a chance to do these anymore. And so the main quest becomes a sort of anathema to the gameplay. You kind of avoid it, right? It becomes the sort of secondary thing, even though it is the main thing. It's the primary thing. It's the most interesting thing. The idea of staying in one spot in time until you're done with everything you need to do, which is kind of like this version of high school dreams, right? Thinking back of going back to college or going back to high school and, and you know, oh, the things I do, I do this, I do that, I, I get this done, I get that done. The idea of just like living there and being able to do it over and over, kind of a groundhog day or uh, I guess the the more contemporary version would be something like Click, the uh, vaguely not good Adam Sandler movie. Um, all of those dreams can be recollected and enacted successfully for once. You can stay in one moment in time and just complete things. You could knock off everything from your to-do list to go back to the previous uh, point. You're able to complete any and everything that you want to do. And once again, we come back to this emotionally fulfilling aspect of being able to get done. Again, something that could the contemporary labor market, you know, the contemporary labor market isn't responsible for all ills if in fact like, you know, you didn't ask a girl out or a boy out in college. That can't always be blamed on capitalism, that could just be you. Uh so maybe on some levels these near side quests are appealing in a an emotionally subjective and personal way as well. But socially speaking, Getting everything done, finishing everything on your to-do list, that's a totally, like, it's a capitalist urge that is undercut by late capitalism insofar as we have such long to-do lists we could never possibly get done. We keep, we have, you know, daily goals, weekly goals, monthly goals, yearly goals, five-year goals, six-year goals, ten-year goals, right, by design. And, and that's not saying anything against those goals. It's just the way we live these days. So in neither iteration of the subquest appeal do we have a real appeal. We know in both cases, right, the idea of 
discreetly finishing things or uh, finishing discrete tasks, both, I guess, uh, both versions of discrete and finishing everything on our to-do list. We know both of these things are false or, or at least fantastical, right? Um, but in both, it's therapeutic. So there's something true about gaming in this idea that we're doing something that we know is not real, but at the same point, it's very therapeutic. The formal mechanics in the game tick off pleasure boxes in your brain, right? They make you sort of feel things that you like, even though you know that both the story, of course, you know, the story is fictional, but that the conceptual basis in the story is also flawed or impossible. You play these games not because they realistically generate a world, but because they actually in the real world, not realistically, but materially generate emotions that correspond to your actions in the game. Now, whether or not this is more like an addiction or more like therapy is sort of up for debate. Um, I'm not quite sure where I fall on it, more towards the therapy side than the addiction side. But I think it's very interesting to think about side quests as part of this therapeutic move, this way of disconnecting from a capitalistic world and into a fictional but otherwise different vision of how we might allocate our time. So thank you for listening. Uh, please head over to the Patreon, patreon.com backslash Hegelbahn. Uh, for if you want to be a patron, if you want to subscribe and, and get uh, updates and um, bonus episodes and the PayPal, paypal.me backslash Hagelbon. I also stream a little more often these days, not too, too often, but sometimes at twitch.tv backslash Hagelbon. Uh, and just keep listening right here on No Cartridge. Uh, we're on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher Radio as of today. And uh, the podcast is available at no-cartridge.net. And the blog, for if you want more writing, is available at no-cartridge.com. Uh, I hope to talk with you all soon and keep an eye out for all those guest spots. Uh, and uh, as always, Game Empowered.